was to get funky tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Silver Emotion Podcast. It's episode number 27, and boy, do we got a good show for you. Ask me if I give a shit. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Silver Emulsion Podcast. My name is Will, and I am your host. And today, I'm going to be talking about the 1984 uh, horror movies. And uh, running through that and uh, looking over the the top ten as uh, voted on by Letterboxd users, uh, unbeknownst to them, just you know, people rating their movies as they will, and uh, it sort of creates a little top ten. And uh, I'll go a little further than that as well, as 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 uh, b- 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 as usual. <laughs> That's all, folks. Um, no, that is not all, folks. Uh, there's a, a whole show ahead of us. <laughs> I'm doing something unprecedented in terms of uh, the show. Um, I usually pick the music and then kind of set up the intro uh, so that when I record this part of the show, the the meat as you uh, might call it. Um, like, uh, I ride the energy, you know? So, like, I know I f- where the song fades out. Like, usually that's where I start recording. And, and so I feel the energy, and it kind of kicks me into into record mode. But, but today, I didn't uh, pick the songs, and I just wanted to start recording. So here I am. Uh, and it feels very very strange, actually. I didn't think it would feel so strange. Um, so, let's uh, see here. I got some feedback from Nick, and it's uh, it's a long one, so let's uh, get right into it. Nick says, Glad you like the Manowar cover. That's just the visible part on the CD booklet. It actually unfolds into this. And then there's a link to the uh, the unfolded version. Which is far more epic than just the uh, the little piece uh, that was visible. I don't remember if I if I um, described it, but it's a, a big Conan barbarian looking dude with uh, a sword in one hand and a uh, hammer, a big old hammer in in the other hand, and uh, out of out of those weapons uh, springs forth some lightning, <laughs> and the lightning kind of courses down his. Uh, his arms as well, and he's kind of kneeling down on this, um, like thi- uh, I don't know what to call it, it's like an arch kind of thing, uh, arch of bones, but um, that part is not visible on, on the first part that he sent over. Uh, it kind of stops at his waist, um, but but in the unfolded version, you see that the he's sitting on this pi- pile arch thing of bones, and then I'm hesitant to call it an arch or a pile because in the middle of it, there's a light, like it's some kind of a tunnel 
So maybe an arch into a mine or something like that. And then in the, in the, in the, the tunnel part, you can just see the top of a guy's head and he's like raising this whip over his head. And then all around that, uh, there's like these little uh, pedestals, like stone pedestals, and there's um, hot, naked demon chicks <laughs> with wings and shit. Like, <laughs> and they're all uh, accepting the the guy's lightning, <laughs> like uh, reaching their hands out and and taking part of the the band's power. <laughs> Uh, it's a pretty fucking dope cover. You know, there's, there's, uh, <laughs> there's, there are a few things like, uh, a good metal album cover. And this is a good one. You know, this, this kind of painted art style, uh, you just don't see stuff like this anymore at this level of quality. I mean, maybe, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not deep into it, so I don't know. There's probably some uh hardcore bands that are still i use hardcore lightly i know that's like an actual genre or something i think i don't know <laughs> i don't keep up with it but anyway um i know that there's probably some like purist bands that only have this kind of uh drawn cover but um i know i've seen a lot that are pretty digital as well um but anyway it's uh it's pretty fucking dope and to get back to the email, or the, the comment, as it were, uh, it fo unfolds into this, and then what I just described. And then uh, he says, which was tacked to my wall in my teens. That's, that's about the time you'd want that on your wall. Uh, <laughs> uh, so then he goes on to say, the big metal bands I've seen live are August Burns Red, Bring Me the Horizon, Iced Earth, Nevermore, Opeth, Primus, Revamp, Sabaton, and Three Inches of Blood. And just, I'd like to say, <laughs> I've heard of like a couple of those. So, I'm um, well, maybe more than a couple, but but um, just to show my, my lack of knowledge in the, in the entire metal genre, you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm not too deep. I'm, and you know, Manila Road is, is, is a deep find, but I found that for, because of a very specific, um, metal, like, greatest fucking traditional metal list or something like that. I don't remember what the the uh, the list was called, but it was, like, the top ten-something albums, and Manila Road's Crystal Logic was on that, and then I heard that, and it, like, fucking... I became obsessed with it, and then it just spiraled out from there. Um, So anyway, he, he goes on to say, D uh, don't drink anymore, so it's tough, you know, uh, concerting. Checked out your Manila Road from Kansas, and they sound decent enough. Uh, I'm kind of particular with metal. From the Midwest, though, I prefer Slipknot. Pretty extreme for some. Anyways, back to movies and schnitt. I don't know if that's a, a typo, um, but I, <laughs> I like it. Schnitt. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he, uh, he says, I watched The Raid. Based off of your recommendation, I heard recently, and thanks for that. You were spot on about the realism of the violence. Definitely tough to stomach most of the time. In fact, it was so extreme that it became funny that they were still kung fuing 
uh, with knives sticking out of their necks. <laughs> uh, at that point, I think someone would start breaking form and fighting real dirty to just survive, you know? Real cool and intense, though, and loved the music by Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park. I noticed my man Chino from Deftones singing the end credit song, which was rad. I recommend you view Stephen Chow's earlier stuff before you watch Shaolin Soccer, uh, one of the funniest movies I can remember, remember ever seeing in a theater, almost too funny, and Kung Fu Hustle, which is almost as good. Those were my first of Chow's movies. I tried watch, watching his earlier stuff back then afterwards. Had to down them. Down, gee, I can't fucking talk today. Uh, had to download them back then. Sorry. And they seemed like a bunch of rough cuts to me in comparison. Just couldn't get into them at the time. Oh, yeah, and Enter the Fat Dragon looks like a bootleg. Yeah, it's uh, super frustrating when you can't access uh, foreign movies because of unavailability. The movie was pretty funny, though. Which Sammo movie would you recommend for someone who hasn't seen uh, much of his movies? Lastly, I viewed uh, Nightbreed, the theatrical cut, and definitely the most interesting part of the movie for me is David Cronenberg. Reminds me of From Dusk Till Dawn, how the famous director is a main character, and that's one of my favorite movies. I guess people like to criticize Cronenberg's acting, and I see where they're coming from. I still think he's really great for the part, because I feel like he probably influenced that damn mask man. Maybe he was intimidating the art department, or they wanted to impress, you know, the fucking Cronenberg. I just love every time he put that thing on with the button eyes and the awkward zipper mouth. Yeah, his line reading is a bit too monotone. Thing is, though, he knows how to move physically and also wear that thing like a pro. What I noticed different from the director's cut was the ending where there's a setup for a sequel and not tying things up with the romantic leads, but I didn't know all the labor that went into the director's cut when I watched that one. That story about Clive Barker being in a coma is pretty fascinating, and waking and finding out about the lost footage, badass. Well, good luck with future episodes, brother. Peace on Earth. Well, thank you, Nick. <laughs> I still can't talk. Thank you, Nick. Um, it didn't sound any better, but I don't know. Let's move on. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Um, metal, uh, I get it. Like, uh, you seem like a big fan. Um, I'm a big fan of, of the things that I really like. Um, I'm a huge fan of Iron Maiden and I've recently over the last, uh, probably year or two gone deep into Manila Road. Manila Road is definitely like, um, they like, like I really like Anvil <laughs> and Manila Road is not like Anvil in any way really, except for the fact that they're super, uh, like underrated I feel and but I also know that both bands are not for everybody like they're not they're not like I don't want to say that they're not great because I think that they're fucking phenomenal but I get it if people don't like them um but yeah like with the metal I don't know I just um 
I get locked into these bands that I like, and then I don't, I don't necessarily see a need to like seek something else out. And I've tried. Um, when I worked, I worked at a library uh, before I moved up here to Oregon, and I, uh, I worked with a guy that was like big, big, big into metal, and so he would always be talking about like, oh, you got to try this band or that band or whatever. And so I would listen to albums um, from all these people and, and go down different paths and stuff. Um, and I just never really latched onto anything other than just like the big guys, you know, Maiden and Metallica and, and uh, early Metallica and uh, Megadeth and stuff like that. There's probably, a, oh, I, I, I got really into Testament for a while. But... Um, you know, big big stuff, um, and old stuff too. Like I, I don't, I don't know. The new stuff is uh, not really my bag. Uh, but for the raid, yeah, fucking raid is dope. Glad you liked it. Um, the thing with with the music is that the the Lincoln Park guy uh, did the music, and that's the only difference for the U.S. version. the The original version has a score uh, by the guys who scored. Um, their first movie, Marantau, and I really like the score of Marantau, but I've never seen the uh, the, the original uh, Indonesian version of The Raid. Um, I've just seen the U.S. release, so I'm curious um, to watch it with the with the other music. And now that I'm talking about it, I'm kind of remembering that I may have actually seen it. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but. I remember before the Raid 2 came out, I watched the Raid again and I got I rented the Blu-ray from Netflix and I want to say that it had both scores and I watched it with the new score uh, with the with the Indonesian score and I want to say that I didn't notice any difference. <laughs> but it had been a few years since I had seen um the 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 Linkin Park score or the the Mike Shinoda score. So I don't know. I'll have to. Uh, I mean, I don't. I'm not beating down the door to see the raid again, but uh, at this point, but um, hmm, yeah, hmm. I don't know. <laughs> don't have anything great to say about <laughs> about that. Um, Stephen Chow. Yeah, I I generally try to work uh, chronologically if I can, um, and the reason why I haven't really gotten into Shaolin Soccer and Kung Fu Hustle is because I do, like, I did want to, like, get more into his Hong Kong stuff, like the, the, I mean, those are Hong Kong movies too, but, like, I wanted to delve deeper into the stuff that was very successful in Hong Kong but didn't make it here uh, before I got into the stuff that theoretically could be more mainstream appealing because it 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 succeeded in the u.s um yeah so i mean that's my plan and i i've been putting those off for this long i might as well wait longer and uh, see some other stuff (laughs) um because yeah I i definitely don't like that um seeing something that's like you see something that comes out and you're like oh man this is fucking amazing and then you go back and it just doesn't hold up the older stuff. I I've experienced that. That's in part why I may have mentioned this before, but that's why I um, started doing the Shabbathers 
series where um, I'm going chronologically from the beginning because I was watching, I watched The Magic Blade and and enjoyed it, but thought like, you know, I'm missing something. I, I feel like I just, I don't have the whole story. <laughs> I don't know what about it. I don't remember at this point, like what about it made me feel that way, but I definitely felt like I wasn't properly able to say this wasn't a great movie, but at the same time, I didn't feel, um, I don't know, I just didn't feel like I was connected, but I felt like it was my problem and not the movie's problem. So I'm actually pretty close to it um, now, and pretty close probably means a number of months, but uh, I'm in probably halfway through 75, and Magic Blade was 76, so I look forward to getting back to that. Um, Enter the Fat Dragon. Oh, well, that's the other thing with the Stephen Chow stuff. You had to download them back in the day. I mean, honestly, the pretty much if you like Hong Kong movies and you live in the U.S., like, I would say that most people's uh, fandom has at some point uh, intersected with illegal piracy of movies because just the unavailability of Hong Kong movies in the U.S. is, it's like, it's one of the defining characteristics of, of fucking Hong Kong movies in the U.S. Like, they've always been either unavailable or available in only edited, compromised uh, condition, such as Rumble in the Bronx or First Strike or Super Cop or whatever, the Jackie Chan movies, um, Drunken Master 2, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All those fucking Jet Li movies that eventually came out. Um, and this is later. I mean, even b- before then, I mean, you were fucked, basically. The only way to get them was to tape trade, which is what uh, I used to do with my friends, where we'd... Um, Internet was in its infancy. I feel like I talked about this, too, but I don't know. Internet was in its infancy, and we would do, you know, everybody would have their tapes, and we'd say, hey, I got this. Do you have this? And you know, trade tapes or uh, send for BMPs, <laughs> blanks and postage, baby. <laughs> the good old days. So, yeah, I mean, again, you know, I I don't officially endorse it, but, um, you know, uh, sometimes the desire for a movie wins out, and I understand that completely uh, to this day. <laughs> Um, and yeah, definitely with Enter the Fat Dragon, like, the only way that that's available in the U.S., really anywhere in the world at this point, because it was only, it's never been on DVD properly, it's only been available in a VHS, so, um... And like the and it's not like a fucking back alley bootleg. These are bootlegs that are on Amazon.com that you can just buy, and they're companies set up specifically for this kind of operation, and they're unchecked because the Hong Kong industry just I don't think they give a shit because I don't they're not trying to, to fucking release these movies. Although like the Shaw Brothers movies. Um, when when Celestial remastered all those movies and they did start coming out in the U.S. on DVD, like, in mass, 
in mass. <laughs> Is that how you say that? Um, the bootlegs actually did kill that. Like they they were releasing them very steadily, but they weren't selling very well because a lot of people already had bootlegs of these movies at, that they've had for 10 years or whatever, and they don't particularly give a shit to buy a new version that maybe it looks a little nicer, but like if they have some old bootleg DVD or a tape and it's got the dub that they like and it's fucking what they've always known, not everybody is going to rebuy a movie that they already bought, you know, regardless of the legitimacy of it. And that actually killed the licensing deals for the Shaw Brothers movies on DVD in the U.S. and and Blu-ray as well, because there was, I don't know, maybe 10 10 or so Blu-rays that came out a few years ago in the U.S., Um, and then it just dried up because people weren't buying them. Uh, and that was def you know that's that's the only like uh legitimate story that I have for piracy actually killing releases in the u s um but yeah, I mean, like with Ender the Fat Dragon, Warner Brothers owns it, they could put it out, but for some reason they don't maybe maybe it's something where they don't have the materials to put it out. Or they're too old to remaster or whatever. Not, you know, maybe, maybe. Because, you know, no. Hong Kong is not a film preservation mecca. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you know, don't worry about it. It, it, it uh, I, I would be surprised to find anybody who's super into Hong Kong movies who doesn't have a bootleg or five or more in their collection, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I mean, whatever. I, I'm not the police, so I don't care. Uh, Samo, which Samo Hung movie would I recommend to someone who hasn't seen too many? Let's see. Off the top of my head, I'm gonna say the Jackie Chan movies. The 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 the, just in, to keep it kind of limited, the Samo Hung movies that he directed, because he's in all he stars in a lot of movies that he did not direct. Um. But just going off of the movies that he directed, I will say that the ones he directed with Jackie Chan are definitely a good entry point, specifically Wheels on Meals. Um, That movie is absolutely fantastic, and it features, uh, if you haven't seen it, it features uh, Jackie Chan at the end fighting Benny the Jet, and it is uh, probably the greatest one-on-one fight in uh, martial arts history, martial arts movie history. Um, If not the greatest, it's definitely uh, very, very close. Um, It's probably my favorite. I mean, I don't like this call things, oh, this is my favorite, or this is my number one, because inevitably I could give it to, you know, any number of movies that I love. But the fucking that fight in Wheels on Meals is just fucking on another level. It's so good. I'll be talking about it more because I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Um, So next episode, I may say some more about it, but I don't know how 
how uh, deep I'll get. It'll probably just be like, yeah, but the fucking that fight was dope. <laughs> but uh, I would recommend that movie. Um, Warriors Two. Like it depends on what you like too. If you like old school seventies like traditional like period kung fu movie warriors 2 is really good knockabout is really good prodigal son is really good um knockabout and prodigal son both had dvd releases in the u.s that are are i believe uncut um but they're out of print as always with these fucking Hong Kong movies. Um, but those are good. If you like more modern day stuff, I would say I like Winners and Sinners a lot, but I, I don't I wanna say that I'm in a minority with that. Um, but definitely Wheels on Meals. Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars is not the greatest movie, but it has some of the best action like of all time. Uh I fucking love it. You've probably seen clips of the fight with uh Samo Hung and uh, Yasuaki Karata, where Samo uh, has a pair of tennis rackets <laughs> in his hands. Uh, he also fights uh, Richard Norton, which is fucking outstanding, and uh, Yoon Byu and Jackie Chan are in that one as well. Uh, that's a really good one. I Again, Dragons Forever, the other one uh, that they did. The last movie that... Uh, Samo, Yunbyu, and, and Jackie did together. That one has fucking standout action. Uh, Eastern Condors. I don't know. I'm throwing out too many movies. Uh, <laughs> I would I would say Wheels on Meals, Eastern Condors, Dragons Forever, and Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars. Did I even narrow it down? Jesus. I don't know. Wheels on Meals would be my first choice. And then... I don't know. I mean, it, it again, it depends on what you like. Eastern Condors is like a mix of, well, like, gun action and explosive action and fights and stuff like that. It's it's really cool. That was, that was one I saw when I was a teenager, and I thought it was just the fucking the dopest movie ever. <laughs> Um, so that and Wheels on Meals, those are two good choices, I would say, but also Dragons Forever and Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars. All right, let's move on before I fucking, uh, (laughs) repeat those same titles again. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Nightbreed, let's, uh, see, David Cronenberg, I have seen people bag on his performance, but I gotta say, I don't give a fuck. David Cronenberg's performance in Nightbreed is fucking phenomenal, perfect. I love it. I love the monotone. I think it's fucking exactly right for that character. It's brilliant. Fucking amazing. Uh, The mask itself, um, you're talking about because uh, you think that maybe he influenced it. And and I'm sure he brought his own style to the way that the... uh, the mask and everything is portrayed in the the original book it's not a novel it's about i want to say about 200 pages maybe 170 something like that 
Um, and it's in a book with a couple of other stories, one of which is uh, The Last Illusion that uh, Clive Barker then adapted into um, Lord of Illusions. But the, the book of Nightbreed, which is called Cabal, the mask is very defined in that story, like the look of it and everything. And Clive Barker is an artist as well, and so he had already like drawn up all kinds of pictures of it. So it was pretty, like visually, it was pretty defined before the movie uh, was ever a thing. Um, and um, what was I going to say? Oh, that was the other thing. In in the in the book, the mask actually like talks. <laughs> I like the 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 doctor and like he talks to the mask and the mask talks back to him. And I always read it as a just like an internal dialogue, but none of that is apparent in in the movie at all. Obviously because it would be fucking stupid. Um but it it definitely adds a different element when you're reading the book because the mask is this like almost like a devil on his shoulder sort of thing going on. It's a really good story if you if you're into reading um, that kind of stuff. It's it's top notch stuff. And in regards to the ending, the uh, in in. How do I put it? Uh, originally, Cabal was written, and it was written with the intention, like many of Clive Barker's books, he writes it with the intention of writing more. And he has ideas for, like, oh, this will be book two or whatever. And so anyway, with, with Cabal, he had the idea for two more books. And so he shot that footage that then became like the call to the next book or the next movie or whatever. And that became the end of the movie originally. And ideally, if it had done well, he would have uh, continued along that path. But because it didn't do well and because of the horrific like hack job of editing that the studio did, took it away from Clyde Barker, he just totally scrapped all of those plans and he didn't he hasn't written anything ever again <laughs> like uh about that world and i want to say that if he had made the movie that he wanted to make back in whenever whatever the year was 1990 or 89 or whatever um i want to say that it would still end with the call to the sequel but because Clive Barker knew like we're never gonna do that again <laughs> um it just ends with the romantic leads and in a way like I would call that also a a, a, a very open-ended way towards a sequel but it's a very differently aimed sequel um, but I think like the 20 years or whatever that passed definitely influenced the choice of where to go with that ending. Um, 
and I don't know, obviously, but I would have to read the book and and sort of parse it out. But I remember, if I remember right, the the book has elements of both endings at the end of of its story. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> that's uh that's a feedback. Um, let me, um, let me take a break. Those stories are all lies. All right. Um, let's go. In 1984, horror movies. Uh, let me close all these things so I don't get distracted. Okay, 1984, I, d- I haven't looked. Let's get into it. Uh, number one on the list. Let me see. One, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right. Okay, so the top ten. Number one, Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, no surprise there. That movie is fucking great. Obviously, if you haven't seen it, fucking watch it. It's Nightmare on Elm Street for God's sakes. Um, Freddy to me is one of the greatest creations of the the twentieth century in terms of uh, film characters. Um. I feel like as a monster, he stands up alongside the great monsters, such as Dracula or Frankenstein's monster or uh, Invisible Man, the fucking mummy, Wolfman, whatever, Creature of the Back Lagoon, Uh, all those guys, all the universal classics. I feel like Freddy is uh, an equally great character on the same level. Fucking a guy that assaults your dreams... How much fucking greater can that be? That's amazing. It's just, it's fucking great. And that movie, that first movie, is absolutely fantastic. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What else to say? It's fucking dope. It's fucking Freddy. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Next on the list is Gremlins, which um, I never thought of that as a horror movie, but I guess it is. I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. To me, it was just like a fun fucking, like, I guess it was kind of scary, but I always just had fun with it ever since. I mean, I, I saw that when I was a little as fuck. Um, and I I don't ever remember being scared by it. I just remember laughing and just having a fucking great time. Um, but yeah, it's definitely horrific, I suppose. Um, I got to watch that. I just bought it, actually. It um, I found a... a there's a three-pack. It's a one-case, one, one case, three movies. Blu-ray of Goonies, Gremlins, and Gremlins 2. And, you know, how the fuck can I pass that up? It's it's so, yeah, so I have it now. So one of these days, well, I guess it's a Christmas movie, so I don't know if, eh, I don't know if I'll wait, but, eh, maybe, maybe I'll wait. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, fucking Gremlins is dope. How, how, you know, everybody's seen Gremlins, I feel. I feel like everybody's seen Gremlins, but uh, maybe you haven't. If you haven't, you should watch it. It's great. I don't know if it hold up, holds up, um, but I would imagine. I know if I watch it again, I'll fucking love it. I <laughs> There's no chance that I'm not going to love it. But And if you don't like it, I don't... I just... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I question your sanity, honestly. If you don't like Gremlins... I mean, next you're going to tell me you don't like fucking Nightmare on Elm Street. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right, number three. Can you tell I'm trying to go fast? <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I don't want to get too uh, too comfortable. 
Am I on? Okay, never mind. Yeah. So, number three on the list is Brian De Palma's movie Body Double. And I have never seen Body Double. I had a very big aversion to Brian De Palma for many years. Um, I would say, well, I probably continue to have one. But um, I never really got why he was so popular. When I was a kid, I saw, like, I guess the the big stuff, his fucking Carrie and Scarface and, you know, I don't know, what else? I guess, I guess that was it. Let's see, what else did he make? Oh, he made Mission Impossible. Yeah, I saw that, but I didn't really like it. And Carlito's Way. Oh, <laughs> he made that? Wow. <laughs> I don't remember that movie, but I know I saw it. And Snake Eyes. That was all right. Um, but anyway, I, I, and I don't really like Carrie. That's my big fucking <laughs> drop the bomb. Um, I feel like Carrie is one of the most under, uh, overrated horror movies like ever. <laughs> and I don't know, I guess it's stylish or whatever, but to me, it's just, it's fucking hard to sit through that shit. Like they drop the the blood on her and then there's like a slow motion shot of the fucking audience like clapping or whatever maybe it's before i don't remember but it's just it goes on and on and on and it's just oh come on <laughs> i don't know i'm not really a carrie fan i like the book the book's good i'm a big stephen king guy but uh i don't know i don't like the movie i've seen it a number of times too and i just always kind of uh never really got into it Anyway, so I kind of had this thing about Brian De Palma being kind of shitty in my head. And then a few years ago, I watched his movie Sisters. And I really liked Sisters. And I thought, well, shit. Maybe I should give this Brian De Palma another shot. And really, like, watch all these um, sort of Hitchcock-influenced movies that he made. Such as Dressed to Kill and Body Double. Um, but I never did it, so <laughs> I will uh, uh, publicly state, like, one of these days, <laughs> I will get to those. But for now, now is not uh, that day. Body double. It looks, I mean, they show windows and shit, and it looks kind of rear window-ish. Um, and I gotta say, that the Hitchcock... Like, the ripping off a Hitchcock thing makes me not want to see them, although... He does that in Sisters, and I don't know. It's kind of fun, so I don't know why I'm avoiding it. But um, I don't know. Whatever. Body double. There it is. <laughs> Next on the list is Friday the 13th, the final chapter. I honestly don't know if I've seen this one, to be completely honest. I feel like I haven't, which is fine. And and also, like, these covers. <laughs> All the covers, like, look so familiar to me. Um, and maybe if I watched it, I would be like, oh, yeah, this fucking thing. But just off the top of my head, man, I don't remember shit. The cover is uh, the, the hockey mask with a, a knife through the eye which was uh, 
was it the cover? If it wasn't the cover, it was uh, definitely the start screen of the NES game. And uh, that NES game is f- fucking brutal. If you haven't played that NES game uh, and you have an NES handy or an emulator, uh, I highly recommend it. It is a fucking bitch of a game. Very, very, very hard. But um, oddly, like, very fucking enchanting and, like, super fucking scary. Like, like, it's probably one of the scariest games ever. Like, there's Silent Hill 2 and fucking Friday the 13th. Like, (laughs) um... Because, like, you're just a kid, (laughs) like, walking around the Camp Crystal Lake, fucking kid camp counselor, whatever, and all you got is, like, a fucking rock or some shit, (laughs) and you're just uh, trying to light these chimneys, like, light fires in the chimneys uh, in the fireplaces, and I don't remember what everything does, but I think you light them and then um, Jason doesn't go to that house or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> like, you'll just be in the fucking house and all of a sudden, you know, you're, like, lighting a fucking fireplace or, you're like, you're, like, trying to get to the fireplace and then you'll just turn and fucking Jason will pop up. Like, he's just there <laughs> and he's fucking attacking you with this machete. <laughs> and then when <laughs> when Jason inevitably kills your camp counselor, <laughs> you just move on to the next kid until all your fucking <laughs> everybody dies and the fucking game says like fucking you and your friends are all dead. Game over. <laughs> One of the greatest games of all time. I love it. Um <laughs> <laughs> number five on the list oh fuck it's another movie that i i feel i i should have seen but i haven't seen it um i've seen i've seen the beginning like half an hour um i watched it on netflix uh a couple of years ago because uh, my wife was watching it when i came home one day or i had to leave or something something where i only watched the beginning and it was fucking great but anyway it's a stephen king uh adaptation uh, Children of the Corn. Uh, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen any of the sequels. Uh, I liked what I saw. <laughs> I think it's one of the greatest titles ever. And I have read the short story that it's based on, which is supposedly not um, very indicative of the movie. But, uh, you know, hey, fucking Children of the Corn. I, I need to watch it. What can I say? Uh, you know, I apologize to the horror gods. <laughs> <laughs> don't uh chop my head off with the sickle <laughs> okay number six on the list is uh oh 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 <laughs> number six is a movie near and dear to my heart it is lloyd kaufman's toxic avenger the original the one the only um except for the sequels the 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 fucking fantastic movie uh out of trauma the toxic avenger um so if you couldn't tell i love this movie i love trauma 
So how can you not love the Toxic Avenger if you love trauma? Um, when I watched this movie, I, I had, the last time I watched this movie, I, I already had Silver Emulsion. And I watched this movie, and th- at that time, when I was watching movies, I made a point of, of reviewing everything I watched. That was my goal, basically, my, my challenge to myself. Can I review everything that I watch? I don't know how many I would watch in a week, but anyway, I would try to write about them all. And when I watched The Toxic Avenger, it was very early. It was probably still the first year. I watched it, and I thought, this movie is not only great, like, not only a great, entertaining piece of work, it's a, it's a legitimately great movie. But, I don't know what the fuck to write about it, and... I honestly just want to enjoy it, and I don't want to write about it. Like, it's too fucking good. And so I didn't write about it. And then I watched all the sequels, and I didn't write about them either. There was, I think it was a couple years ago, I I had plans to uh, review Citizen Kane and then review Toxic Avenger on the next day or the, later in the day or whatever. I don't remember what my plan was. But I was going to review both of those because I mentioned those in my my shitty tagline for the site that I don't really like. But um, I'm too lazy to like think of a better one or change it or anything. So I just leave it up there. Um, but I was going to make good on it and, and review those two movies back to back because I feel like each one is fucking equally great for very different reasons for... Um, but But just because they're different reasons doesn't make them better reasons necessarily on one side or the other. And I had, you know, I have these big plans of like legitimizing great genre movies or whatever, but I mean, honestly, (laughs) um, it doesn't, who gives a shit, but I would like to eventually one day write a really nice um, thing about Toxic Avenger (laughs) <laughs> All right, so number seven on the list is Night of the Comet. And Night of, I'm surprised that this is this high on the list, to be honest, because there's other movies from this year that, well, I don't know if they're, yeah, they're probably not as popular as Night of the Comet. But I feel like Night of the Comet is pretty fucking, like like underseen or like a lot of people have never seen this movie so i don't know why it's how it's so high up but anyway it's uh it's cool (laughs) i watched it for the first time a few years ago and i don't think i reviewed it i think it was a movie that i didn't review but maybe i did i don't remember anyway um it's kind of a zombie movie, but kind of not a zombie movie. It's like an apocalypse movie. Um, like the this comet comes and then fucking people become 
zombie-like or some shit because of it. I don't. It's just like a long time ago when I watched this, and uh, it's fun, and I liked it. But there's a cult of people that think this movie is like one of the greatest fucking movies of the '80s, and I am not necessarily sold. <laughs> I should watch it again. Um, next on the list, a surprising again to me uh, that that this movie would be this high, but it's the uh, the old favorite, uh, a silver emulsion favorite, Silent Night, Deadly Night, the the original, which I talked at length about uh, around Christmas time, and it's nice, nice to see it uh, this high up. The next movie is a movie I don't even know anything about, and it's called The Company of Wolves, directed by Neil Jordan. So, Neil Jordan, is he he an English guy? I want to say he's English. I don't really like English movies, (laughs) if I'm honest, like like, uh, fucking, you know, like British movies. Uh, it's hard for me to watch British movies. I don't really... The, the fucking accents get to me. I mean, I say that, but... You know, I mean, there's good shit. Fucking Wicker Man or whatever, but... I don't know. What is this movie? Company of Wolves. Werewolves and sexual connotations and... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. This poster ain't doing anything for me. Um, but, but, who knows? Maybe it's good. It's, uh, this, this guy says, a strange werewolf film mixing fantasy and fairy tales set within a dream. Neat practical effects, though. Five out of ten. Well, practical effects, werewolf fucking set in a dream movie? (laughs) It sounds like something you just got to see. All right, maybe I'll watch it. And then number 10 on the list is another movie that I don't know that I would classify it as horror. I suppose that it is, but I don't know. Stephen King's uh, Firestarter. I watched Firestarter not that long ago. Probably, let me look, May of 2016. Well, there you go. I hadn't seen it since I was a little kid. I watched it because I read the book, um, probably right before I watched the movie. And, uh, the, the book is way better. And the movie is good. And it's, um, it's pretty fucking faithful. But like, I don't know. It's just, it's not It's not a Stephen King book that I think is very great. I liked it, but I wasn't crazy about it. And I basically feel the same way about the movie. Um, the character that, that George, George C. Scott plays in the movie is actually um, like a Native American guy in the book. And so when I watched the movie, I was kind of sad that they didn't get a Native American guy because not that it really matters to his character, but I just feel it would be, it would have been 
I don't know. It just would have been more interesting than just another white guy. As, as good as George C. Scott is, I don't know. That's my <laughs> that's my fucking take on Firestarter. All right, so then outside of that, what have I seen? Actually, not that many. Uh, Chud. <laughs> what does Chud stand for? It's like cannibalistic. Fuck, what is the H? It's like cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. Yeah. <laughs> I remembered. This movie... I really like this movie a lot. But it's a slow kind of burn. And the first half... It's kind of hard to sit through, I found, uh, when I watched it. I want I wanna say I wanna say Uncle Jasper reviewed it back in the day for the site and then I watched it. because um, I know it was when I had the website. Anyway, um I remember feeling like the first half was was just okay and it was kind of slow and wasn't going anywhere and then like the second half is just fucking straight up dope <laughs> i'm sure if i watched it again i would i would like it more overall now because i'm a lot a lot more open and free about movies than i was at the time um but that's chud i mean i don't <laughs> i always feel like i'm not doing a good job when I'm doing these things and then like somebody will write in the feedback like, Oh, that shit was so fun to listen to. Um, <laughs> 1984 also brought the mutilator. Mutilator was put out on Blu-ray, uh, last, last year by arrow. And it is an absolutely fantastic piece of fucking slasher cinema. I love the mutilator. It's fucking great. It's uh, some teens. They go to a beach house where uh, one of the kids' dad, um, like, he lives there or he he is staying there because his fucking marriage is falling apart or something. Anyway, the kids go there and the dad is supposed to arrive at some point or something like that. And, uh, so they're waiting for him and then like one by one, the kids get picked off <laughs> and they all like each fucking death is really, really crazy, gruesome, great fucking physical effects. The guy who did the effects on that, I believe, um, I'm not going to remember, but he did effects on like Videodrome or or T2 or some shit like that like he he went on to do like great physical effects in more well-known movies that was the other thing i was going to say when i was talking about nightbreed um while he was playing uh decker during the day he would go at night and write naked lunch the the movie that he made right after he made uh, Nightbreed. 
So, uh, yeah, a little, little tidbit there. Sp- speaking of great practical effects, most Cronenberg movies have amazing effects. And um, Naked Lunch, I'm not super crazy about the movie overall, but the fucking effects in that movie are amazing. It's all kinds of crazy, crazy, crazy fun shit in that movie. In a in a completely like weird, um, un unexpected way. Like it's not like oh a fucking gore moment or it, it's not effects that you would traditionally like think of. I don't know. It's hard to describe. Um. So okay, that's mutilator. I mean. What's next? Oh, ghoulies. Fucking ghoulies. Jesus, I could go on a whole fucking rant about how much I love ghoulies. Ghoulies is basically almost single-handedly responsible for me setting down the path of watching uh, all the full moon movies. Uh... (laughs) It's uh it's a it's a journey that started uh, when I started the site around right around then around 2010 and I am continuing the same journey <laughs> now in 2017 I am very close to the end um at this point I probably have I don't know 25 movies maybe which is, uh, you know, I can see the end of the tunnel at this point. But uh, it all started with Ghoulies. And Ghoulies is just fun. I don't know. I know a lot of people don't like this movie, but I, it just fucking makes me smile. <laughs> I just love it so much. It's dumb. and But it's just like the right kind of dumb for me. And the sequel is like even a million times better. It's that sequel is just a fucking riot. <laughs> um, but yeah, fucking Ghoulies. I don't know. Watch it. It's it's fucking dope. It's called Ghoulies. <laughs> Why wouldn't you watch it? <laughs> um, same year, uh, Trancers, another another Empire movie from Charles Band. Trancers. Uh, is that a horror movie, really? I don't know about that. That's like a sci-fi action movie. And it's great, but horror movie? Eh, maybe, does that first one have a serial killer? Serial killer? I can't talk. I feel like uh, like my mouth don't open right. Because <laughs> I'm getting tired, like my fucking throat's closing up <laughs> from talking so much. Oh, right. Trancers. He turns the people into zombies. They get tranced or whatever. Yeah, so I guess it's kind of horror elements. All right. Well, whatever. If you haven't seen Trancers, I would definitely watch it. Um, It's one of the best uh, Empire movies, which um, doesn't necessarily mean anything. Unless you like uh, B-movies. Next, what have I seen? Savage Streets with Linda Blair and Linnea Quigley. And this is Linnea Quigley. uh, She's playing 
the little sister of uh, Linda Blair, and she's playing like a, I don't know how old she's supposed to be, like 14 or some shit. And she looks super young. This is like really early in her career. Um, it's, if you haven't seen this fucking movie, and I'm pretty sure I mentioned it before because I know I watched another one of this guy's movies when I was watching movies on the podcast or, or talking about movies. I must have seen The Unseen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's got to be it. Um, but if you haven't seen this movie, I don't know that I would call it a horror movie. It's more of like a kind of a Death Wish-ish kind of movie with uh, Linda Blair playing this fucking total badass. Like, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know... <laughs> What else you need to know <laughs> from that? Just watch it. It's fucking great. Um, next is uh, The Dungeon Master, uh, a.k.a. Rage War, which I know I've talked about a little bit. Anthology movie. Uh, it's still, with even with that, like I don't know that that's really a horror movie or that I consider it a horror movie. I suppose that it is in some way. But, um, I don't know. Maybe one of the stories was more horror-leaning. I know there's monsters and stuff. Ah, whatever. Let's move on. The next one that I've seen here on this first page, actually the last one I've seen on this first page, unless I missed something, uh, Don't Open Until Christmas, or Don't Open Till Christmas. Uh, speaking of British movies... <laughs> Don't Open Till Christmas is a British horror movie. And uh, surprise, surprise, I didn't really like it. Now, I don't think that I would like this movie regardless of the country of origin. Because it just, to me, it was boring as fuck. Like, like fucking boring. <laughs> um, just, like, straight up fucking boring. Uh, it's basically Killer Santa movie. I think maybe in this one they're killing Santas. Is that right? Somebody with the kill is killing anyone in a Santa suit one London holiday season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a little different. It's not Santa killing people. It's Santas being killed. So if you're into <laughs> Christmas horror, this is definitely an option. But uh, it, I, it didn't do fucking anything for me. I except for put me to sleep. I don't. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't. I didn't like it. And I, I, don't, I just watched that, not last Christmas, but I think the Christmas before, 2015, yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think I need to watch it again. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I feel pretty good about that assessment. I don't know, have I seen anything else on this other pages, these other pages? No, it doesn't, nothing's jumping out. All right, well, let me go over the stuff that um, I haven't seen to round it out. And then I'll move on to talk about the uh, the other movies that I, that I did actually watch this week. So, movies I haven't seen. What do we got that jumps out? Fucking Razorback. <laughs> I think that has a Warner Archive DVD because I've... I know I've looked this movie up, 
in the Australian outback, a vicious wild boar kills and causes havoc to a small community. Oh, fucking sign me up. Sounds good. <laughs> a fucking wild boar movie. <laughs> All right, so that's one to keep an eye out for. Uh, Dreamscape. Always wanted to see this movie. Um, never have. I never thought of this movie as being a horror movie, though, but maybe it is. Hmm. Hmm. It... I don't know. Hmm. I'll have to watch it one of these days. Ninja 3, the sequel to Enter the Ninja and Return of the Ninja. Is it Return of the Ninja? Or is it Revenge? It's Revenge, isn't it? Yeah. Revenge of the Ninja. Yeah, so uh, show Kosugi. Is he in the third one? I don't know. I've never seen... Yeah, I, it shows it that he is. Um, I've seen the first two. I didn't really care for Enter the Ninja that much. Um, show Kosugi... Kosugi... Sokugi? So... It's too fucking late <laughs> for, for fucking Asian names. <coughs> um, but he's in the first one, but he's like the bad guy, and he's not in it much. And the the lead, the the good guy, is fucking Franco Nero, <laughs> uh, Django himself. And the idea of Django being a ninja. And fighting against Sho Kasugi, and like, you know, it's a fucking movie, so the the hero wins. <laughs> the spoilers uh, for every fucking movie ever. Uh, <laughs> but like, just the idea of Franco Nero beating um, Sho Kasugi, like, it didn't sit right with me. And it's kind of a, sh it's like a very poorly made shit movie. Um, the, 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 the love interest in that movie is, uh, what's her name? Susan George, I think. She's in Straw Dogs, and I, when I watched, yeah, Susan George, when I watched Enter the Ninja, it was literally like the week after I watched Straw Dogs, and I had no idea that they were, that, that she was in both movies. And there, as I remember it, because I remember I wrote a review for this movie, and I remember I talked about this. But there's there's a thing in in Straw Dogs where she gets raped, and it's very like a very controversial scene. Um, and and the whole thing behind Straw Dogs is that there's these guys that Dustin Hoffman ends up like having to protect his family and protect his house he has to stand his ground and there's a similar element in enter the ninja surprisingly and there's a part in enter the ninja where susan george like gets a fucking shotgun <laughs> and starts protecting uh the house in the absence of her husband if i remember right and it was just such a like oh wow <laughs> like 
I don't remember what I said, but I remember in the review I I mentioned something about like the the irony of of watching the movie where she was defiled in one movie and then someone else had to come to her rescue and then in the next one like she was taking the fucking <laughs> revenge on her own or whatever and i don't remember how it ended because obviously franco nero is the guy that you know is the star but anyway it's enough about that uh, Revenge of the Ninja is one of the like classic great fucking ninja movies of the 80s probably <laughs> like the great 80s ninja movie um, and Ninja 3 I have never seen but I heard I have heard that it is one of the greatest WTF movies in the history of 80s WTF movies uh, and, and I plan to watch it when I can I, I haven't seen Revenge of the Ninja since I was a kid, though. So I always planned uh, to watch that one first. So one of these days, uh, you'll hear me talking about that and know that Ninja 3 is uh, in the pipeline. All right, what else we got? Crimes of Passion, the uh, Ken, Ken Russell movie. Uh, Arrow just put out a Blu-ray of that. I haven't seen it, but... Um, you know, they gave it their seal of approval, so it might, it might not be uh, too bad, or might be good even. <laughs> Hills Have Eyes Part Do, <laughs> Part 2. I haven't seen it, and well, shit, Wes Craven directed the sequel too. Holy fuck, who would have known? Uh, not me, uh, and sh I'm sure a lot of people knew it, <laughs> but I didn't know. Um, one of these days I'll have to watch that. I I'd, I'll have to rewatch the first one too because I remember, um, not really liking it. Like it, it's good, but it's like so many. And this is gonna sound stupid, but <laughs> there's so many people just fucking yelling <laughs> in that whole movie of Hills Have Eyes that I just got so tired of hearing yelling <laughs> that I just like gave up on the movie. I mean, I watched the whole movie, but I was just so fucking done with it <laughs> like halfway through I should watch it again um and then watch the sequel <laughs> I've I've always wanted to run through uh the Wes Craven movies cuz I I ha haven't seen too many honestly and the ones I have seen I like so uh next the what is this? The Initiation, also put out uh, on Blu-ray by Arrow recently. Um, so that'll be in the pipeline at some point. I I have it around here somewhere. I know I I purchased it in the in the the uh, in in the <laughs> in the hopes of watching it. Uh, what else do we got? Rats, Night of Terror. That's another movie that I see on these uh, these um, lists of, of Italian horror directed by Bruno Mattei and Claudio Fregoso, Fre Fregasso, I guess. <laughs> Bruno Mattei and Claudio Fregasso. <laughs> um, Claudio directed Troll 2. And ever since I've... Uh, seen Troll 2 and loved Troll 2 
I've wanted to see more of this guy's uh, shitty movies. Uh, Rats, Night of Terror being one of them. But uh, it will have to wait for another day. All right, what else we got here? Black Devil Doll from Hell. Is that really an 80s movie? I thought that was like a fucking 70s movie. <laughs> the fucking cover looks like some bootleg 70s movie. Hmm. Well, there's that movie. Uh, Larry Cohen's Special Effects, which I'm sure I will watch um, somewhat in the near future. Um, it's, there's a lot of movies here. Like, I've heard of almost all these movies. Murder Rock, directed by Fulci. That's going to come out on Blu-ray by uh, Code Red later this year. So I might watch it at that point. So many movies. So many movies. <laughs> um, all right. What else do we got here? Splatter University. Satan's Blade. Monster Dog. That's that's uh, one of those Claudio Fragoso. Fragoso. <laughs> it's one of his movies that I've... That was probably going to be the one I was going to watch. Because it... <laughs> Alice Cooper's in it, and it has a. Uh, it has like such a shitty, <laughs> fucking like dog, thing on the cover. <laughs> I guess it's a monster dog. <laughs> oh man, it looks so shitty. But I mean, it's the guy who did Troll Two, so it <laughs> it's got to be great, right? Uh, one of these days. What else do we got? Terror in the Isles. I haven't seen that. Night Shadows. Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> There's got to be some other good ones. I don't know. Ooh, Devil Fetus 2. <laughs> That's got to be a Hong Kong movie. <laughs> yup. Devil Fetus 2. Never saw Devil Fleet just one, but uh, that's definitely one on my list. <laughs> All right. I think I'm getting ready to wrap this up because I'm not seeing anything like really standing out. Oh, well, I should look at the, like there's Hong Kong movies that, the Hong Kong movies always get really low on this list because nobody ever watches them. Especially this, like, somewhat... I don't want to say rare, but, I mean, I guess they are rare. But, um... Shaw Brothers movie, Sex Beyond the Grave. Haven't seen that. Uh, the Occupant, starring Chow Yun-Fat, uh, directed by Ronnie Yu, uh, who went on to direct Bride with White Hair. And uh, then he came to America and made fucking Warriors of Virtue and uh, Freddy vs. Jason. And he made one of the Chucky movies, too. One of the more recent ones, like Bride of Chucky or something like that. I guess I could l click this link and look. Yeah, he made Bride of Chucky. So, yeah. It's, uh, I've always wanted to, to look into the, the, the earlier movies of Ronnie Yu. So at some point I'll watch uh, The Occupant. <laughs> Here's a fucking Taiwanese movie called King 
king of snake. <laughs> that can't be bad, right? <laughs> uh, it's like, this is the kind of shit that I really get excited about watching. It's some fucking <laughs> movie that four people have seen called King of Snake. <laughs> Man, it's even getting hard to laugh. I'm like so <laughs> fucking like my throat is getting so dry and tired. Fucking eyes are going cross trying to look at this. All right, fuck it. That's it. That's fucking 1984. I want to say that 1984 is not as ripe a year. But the the stuff that's here is pretty fucking good, though. So I don't know. I mean, every year is good for me in the 80s. There's always something fucking dope. But, uh, I don't know. That's 84. If you have any thoughts on 84 movies, send in a fucking feedback. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to take a break, and then I will be back with uh, the four movies that I watched uh, to talk about them briefly. Stop. I'm sick of your bullshit. All right. Welcome back. It's uh, time to talk about the other movies that I saw. The Well... I guess the, the the actual movies that I watched. Uh, first up, I watched a, a Yun Wu Ping movie from 1979. Uh, it's called Dance of the Drunk Mantis, and this was. Let me see here. This was Yun Wu Ping's third movie as a director. The first two being the Jackie Chan movies, uh, Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master. And so uh, Dance of the Drunk Man is, is uh, Yun Wu-Ping's follow-up to Drunken Master. It is also in uh, on some releases it's known as Drunken Master 2, um, which I guess it uh, kind of is, but it's not officially. Uh, Simon Yoon, uh, Yoon Wu-Ping's dad, plays uh, Beggar So once again. And this movie is about him uh, meeting up with uh, this guy named Foggy. And he is played by Yoon Shun-Yi, uh, another one of the Yoon brothers. And... Um, He's the adopted son of Beggar So, and he uh, wants to learn uh, Drunken Fist from his dad. And um, basically, <laughs> basically that's it. There's the there's a, a bad guy uh, played by Huang Jiang Li, and uh, he's trying to kill Beggar So. And uh, the other, <laughs> Foggy, is uh, trying to prevent that. Not too much to it, other than it's fucking awesome. <laughs> In terms of classic martial arts, it's a fucking great movie that will entertain you uh, 100%. It is... There's like fucking... <laughs> It's almost nonstop fights. It's just and and 
they're all very different fights, so it never really gets boring at all. Um, I, I mean, I say that, and I'm <laughs> it's like super into the genre, so maybe I'm not the best judge, but for me, I, I was fucking <laughs> thoroughly entertained. Um, well, pretty much every time Sam, uh, I mean, uh, Simon Yoon is fighting, he's being doubled like 90% of the, of the footage. <laughs> and maybe it's not obvious. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was pretty obvious because there's obviously like a bunch of shots where he's got his back to the camera and he never shows his face. And I mean, it's fine. And the guy fighting for him does very well. But it was a bit distracting. And um, at least, <laughs> I mean, Simon Yoon had a good reason. He um, he actually died after the completion of this movie. And so this was his last finished film. He's in a couple more movies that came out after this. Um, but this was the, the last one to be finished before he died. And uh, he was supposed to be in Yoon Woo-ping's next movie, which is The Magnificent Butcher, uh, starring Sammo Hung. He was supposed to be in that, but uh, because he died halfway through the shooting of that movie, uh, they had to get Fan Mei Sheng to replace him and then reshoot a bunch of stuff um, that had already been done. So if he needed to be doubled, you know... <laughs> It's okay. It's, it's, at least he had a reason. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Fucking Dance of the Drunk Mantis is a movie as great as its title. If you like classic kung fu, uh, you definitely should watch it. Um, next up, I watched another Sammo Hung movie as I have been doing for a while now. And this one I watched is called Pantyhose Hero. This is the movie that Sammo Hung made after, directly after, uh, Pedicab Driver. And it is one <laughs> a weird little movie. Uh, it's not great. It's probably... What did I say was my least favorite? Spooky Spooky? Yeah, I would say that it's better than Spooky Spooky, but um, it's probably not better than anything else. So I would say it's right down there. Um, it's... Uh, how do I say it? Sammo Hung and uh, Alan Tam who is a big star, a big pop star. Um, he's also in uh, Armor of God with Jackie Chan. And I don't know that I've seen him in any other movies other than that. But uh, anyway, so Sammo and Alan Tam, are, are play, they play cops. I know those guys well. They're the right couple of bastards. And in order to catch uh, this gangster... They need to go undercover. And so they go undercover 
um, <laughs> as a pair of uh, gay guys, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> I mean that. Well, that's the that's the idea. The actual practice is some of it's funny and some of it's kind of uh, grown <laughs> worthy. Um, the the real like issue with it is just it's not it's just not a well paced movie like there's a lot of fun things in it <laughs> but um the ideas about gay culture and I'm no scholar or anything but like this movie was 1990 and apparently um homosexuality was illegal in Hong Kong at the time so it was kind of this underground thing um and the ideas about the gay culture are probably offensive to some in this movie uh they refer to the the gays as having male and female genders and i don't know that that is really a thing. Um, I I have known a number of gay people, and I have never <laughs> encountered such a thing. Um, I know that there are more butch and more uh, feminine aspects, but I don't know that they identify as female. Maybe in Hong Kong, it, they do. I don't know. But anyway, there's a lot of things like that that are questionable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh like there's a part where they have to be taught to be gay by this woman hi hi you gay mm. me gay too so less gay okay okay mm. and she's basically just teaching them how to be women <laughs> and so like that's obviously the broad perception of gay culture, especially back then, like in the media or, or even when I was a kid in 1990, I was what, I was like nine. My idea of gay people was just like, yeah, feminine guys. So I get it. And so I guess, <laughs> I guess it's just kind of a juvenile, juvenile, uh, look way to look at gay culture i i didn't have any problems with it um i i thought it was fine and there's a lot of stuff that's funny <laughs> but like there's stuff that's funny to me that could be offensive to other people um <laughs> such as there's a there's like a building manager that that they because they have to move into this guy's apartment because they're trying to solve this guy's murder and so they pose as these gay guys that then rent the same apartment and then they're going to investigate and, and try to figure things out and go to the gay bar and stuff. And the building manager is like really scared of gay people because he's scared that they're going to give him AIDS. And <laughs> at one point he calls uh, Samo and Alan Tam AIDS brothers. <laughs> and like... I know that that's that's not politically correct or whatever, but 
I can't I can't deny it. It fucking made me laugh. <laughs> just just uh, like I'm like the AIDS is obviously no no joke and um <laughs> you know, and I don't <laughs> want to offend anybody. But uh I don't know. I thought it was funny. What can I say? There's an AIDS joke in City Hunter also that I thought was funny and then later like I I saw somebody refer to it as being very insensitive and and offensive and i thought it like i don't remember what the joke is but i thought it was like totally not a big deal um and it was funny and then later when i was looking at the movie usually with those jackie chan movies i would look up and see what had been cut for the u.s release and that scene specifically um had been cut from the u.s release probably because people thought it was offensive so i don't know i guess I I didn't think of anything of it when I when I first watched the movie. Uh but anyway, they 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 pose as gay guys and uh they go into this world as you can call it. And that's most of the movie. And basically the whole time that they're gay, they're just like um dealing with like picking up guys or how to get picked up or whatever like the whole depiction of gay culture is about their sexuality like there's no nuance to it at all uh and so (laughs) some of it is kind of uncomfortable just because you know like well (laughs) there's real people um and it's not necessarily (laughs) 100% like this And then, like, so that's most of the movie, just this this sort of relationship thing. Um, and then there's a side plot, and it's Sammo trying to woo this girl. <laughs> so it's like, even the side plot is basically a very similar thing. But what spices it up, what makes it uh, as good as it is, is there are some Sammo hung fights uh, sprinkled around. There's, what the fuck? <laughs> There's a lot of, of good fights. And then uh, I was looking at my note and <laughs> it says like there's an autocorrect error. And it, I, it totally <laughs> like made me double take. Anyway, there's a one part where there's there's like a little chase scene and Sam Hung is running and he like literally gets fucking totally hit by a fucking car and uh he gets hit he rolls up the hood hits the fucking windshield and like bounces off fucking hard like it's all in slow motion so you don't know exactly how fast they were going but it must have been fast enough because he fucking bounced off that car hard is nuts and it didn't look like there was any wires or anything involved it, it was just a slow motion fucking <laughs> just uh you know throwing himself off a building or getting hit by a car for his art and it's really gnarly <laughs> so that was pretty cool um the fights are good the rest of the movie which is most of the movie eh, i don't know it's all right i could tell that it was a lot of humor that wasn't landing as well as it should have. 
um, even though I probably laughed more than the average person <laughs> would laugh, um, especially in this day and age where everybody's offended by anything, everything. All right, let's move on. Um, next movie I watched is the next uh, Larry Cohen movie, uh, which is the movie that he made after... Oh, he made it after um, God Told Me To, because the last movie I watched was It's Alive, and then he made God Told Me To, which I've already seen recently. Uh, so then I went on to the next one, which is a biopic that uh, Larry Cohen made, apparently, to try to um, show that he was more than just a genre filmmaker. So he made this movie called The Private Files of J. Edgar Hoover. And it's it's basically a uh, an overview of the, the J. Edgar Hoover life from uh, his beginnings before working at the FBI and then how he gets involved with the FBI and then how he controls the FBI uh, over the course of many, many years, uh, culminating with, with his exit from the FBI. It charts the whole rise and fall. Um, it's very much a unique movie, though. Uh, it doesn't follow like traditional biopic things. It's, it's shot partly like a documentary. There's a lot of uh, handheld camera, and they shot tons and tons of the scenes in the actual locations like uh they went to the actual fbi building and shot a bunch of stuff uh j edgar hoover had a friend that apparently he used to go to lunch with all the time and so they shot those scenes in the actual restaurant where they used to go um there's also like like the friend's apartment that they go to. And apparently that's the actual apartment that the guy lived in. And so there's, there's just a, a, an attempt to try to bring a reality to it. And it's not structured like a traditional movie either. It's more in like these flashes where these big scenes are happening throughout his life. And then it sort of will jump ahead. Um, it's kind of a, like a, like an assembly of of various clips throughout his life and and there's there's a definite through line to it and there's an arc from beginning to end but it's subtle it's not in your face about it it's not traditionally dramatized um like a traditional biopic would i really hate biopics i should say that I don't like them. They generally are just, I find them very uh, sappy and boring. And I'd much rather watch a documentary about a guy or whatever. Um, but this one, I really, really enjoyed it because it was stylistically very um, inventive and uh, well put together. And it's actually, it's just a good movie. Like, it's a legitimately good movie that uh, has flown under the radar and uh, the opening scene of the movie is fucking incredible. Uh, I, Sam Fuller is known for saying that the, the first scene of a movie should grab you. 
and take hold of you and say, you know, watch this fucking movie. And this fucking opening that Larry Cohen has for Private Files of J. Edgar Hoover would make Fuller proud. It is fucking fantastic. It's shot in gorgeous black and white, and it's just silhouettes of, um, like, uh, shooting targets, like the those... Like you go to the shooting range and you shoot those fucking paper targets, and it's like the the black silhouette of a of a humanoid shape, and the and the the rings of circles around that, and stuff like that. But it's like an FBI range, so all you see in this black and white thing is the silhouette of these guys, and they're shooting into like this uh, house like fake house with the guys popping up in the windows and stuff anyway and it's all like lit from behind so there's all this brilliant light and it's black and white so it's real grainy and nice looking it's the 70s and uh it's like (laughs) they're just fucking machine gunning the (laughs) the the fucking targets and i don't know i'm not describing it great but it's it's fucking it grabs you man it's fucking dope uh (laughs) Uh, so, so if you are at all interested in J. Edgar Hoover or the films of Larry Cohen, I would say, uh, definitely watch this movie. There's also the use of stock footage here and there for certain, uh, events, which would also make Fuller proud. And, um, I will say though, that there is kind of an assumption by Larry Cohen that, you know, certain details already because it does seem like he's not hand-holding you at all and so he'll jump around especially in regards to the more recent stuff recent being the 60s and 70s era stuff which would be you know just a few years before this movie came out it does feel like he's playing it where like people are gonna know already these circumstances because they just lived through them so I don't have to go you know beat by beat with this stuff Um, and so for somebody watching it from the future it's a little more challenging to get into in that respect but that was a very minor concern because it's super entertaining Uh, Larry Cohen's sensibilities from making genre movies have uh, served him well and he makes a biopic that is fucking entertaining as shit and uh, really well done. Uh, so I'm very impressed with that movie. And I honestly would never have watched a movie called The Private Files of J. Edgar Hoover uh, if it wasn't a Larry Cohen movie. Um, I imagine that the Clint Eastwood more recent movie, uh, J. Edgar, is that what it's called? J. Edgar? I think so. Um, I would imagine that that movie follows a similar sort of course of his life, um, but it does it very much more dramatically and uh, boring. <laughs> but I haven't seen that, so I can't I can't really say uh, if it does. Anyway, so that's that movie, and then the last movie that I want to talk about is a. Uh, a Another, uh, the next Bud Bedker movie. Uh, it's a movie called Westbound. And Westbound, all of the Bud Bedker movies that I have been talking about uh, were 
are known as the renown cycle. I think it's renown cycle. Uh, renown is a production company that is the combination of of Randolph Scott and somebody else's name, and I don't remember uh, who it is. Let me see if I can pull it up because I feel bad. That's right. Harry Joe Brown and Randolph Scott are the producers, and together they are renown. And, uh, but Westbound is not a renowned movie. Bud Bedeker had a contract with Warner Brothers, and he had one movie left on that contract. And uh, Westbound was was the the movie that he used to fulfill that contract. He was originally not going to direct this movie. He was just going to be a producer, I believe, or uh, you know, get it off the ground or something. I don't I don't know the specifics, obviously, but. he wasn't supposed to direct it, and then something happened, and Warner Brothers was like, well, you can fulfill your contract with this movie if you want. Can you come make it for us? You know how to make movies uh, quickly. And so Bud Bedeker was like, yeah, sure. Let's, uh, I'll, I'll bang this movie out, and then I'll get back to my the movies that I actually care about. <laughs> um Bud Bedeker is on record about not liking this movie and thinking that it's dumb, especially um, in the middle of the renowned movies that he, uh, I believe, was very proud of. So, that being said, I knew that going into the movie that that he didn't like it and that it's not a renowned movie, so it's not sort of similar in tone. And that all proved true. Uh, The movie is not... Uh, as dark, let's say, as the renowned movies, it um, doesn't have the same edge to it. It seems much more traditional as a Western. Uh, that being said, it's super fucking entertaining. It's Randolph Scott, it's Bud Bedeker. It's fucking entertaining as shit. Um, but it does feel much more like a studio movie. Uh, story-wise, it's set in the Civil War, and the the North needs gold to continue funding the war, and so they have this uh, this stagecoach line set up to run gold from California to you know Washington D.C. or something wherever they need the gold in the North, and so Randolph Scott is a um, an army man or whatever and he <laughs> he he was also before that known uh as a stagecoach guy so they they say hey can you run this stagecoach line for us we really need this gold he agrees of course and then he uh is is setting out to open the new line uh in this little town that uh, he apparently has been to before. The town is Julesburg in the Colorado Territory. And when he gets there, there's some uh, guys hanging out on the the saloon fucking (laughs) steps or whatever. I don't know if it's a saloon. I think it was 
I think it was. Whatever. Anyway, they're hanging out on the steps. They're obviously up to no good. And then he finds out that the stagecoach office that had been uh, set up there had been closed right before he came. So you can kind of put two and two together <laughs> about uh, the the movie. But even though the movie is, you could say, it's predictable or it's, it's more uh, classically styled, <laughs> traditional, uh, it's still really fun. I love Randolph Scott and definitely not Bud Bedeker's, like, crowning achievement as a director um (laughs) you could i don't want to say you can tell that he's phoning it in because i knew he was phoning it in when i watched the movie but uh it's definitely not at the same level as the the top end of those renowned movies um i also found it funny that there's a guy in westbound who is called his his name is Andrew Duggan or Dugan or whatever, and he plays uh, basically the the lead villain. Um, <laughs> and he also was in get this the Private Files of J Edgar Hoover, and he plays uh, Lyndon Johnson in that movie, and he was also. A regular uh, Larry Cohen uh, player, as you were. Larry Cohen is one of those directors that has a little stable of actors that he always uses over and over. Uh, and and Andrew Duggan was one of those guys. He's also in It's Alive. He's also in the sequel. He's in Bone. He's in uh, Black Caesar. Return to Salem's Lot. He's in a bunch of... Uh, these Larry Cohen movies. He's also in the Bud Bedeker movie Decision at Sundown. And to bring it back to Sam Fuller, he was in the Sam Fuller movie Merrill's Marauders. So is that interesting to other people? I don't know, but it was interesting to me. I, I always find it curious when these sort of things line up where, oh, I just saw this movie, this guy in this movie, now he's in the next movie. That's, you know, coincidence, because I'm just picking these movies at random. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I find it fun. So, that's uh, that's what I watched. Um, That's going to be the show. On the site this week, I have a review of the Jackie Chan movie, Shanghai Nights. <laughs> Um, I'm not really a fan of Shanghai Nights, <laughs> and uh, for reasons I guess that will become apparent when the review comes out. Um, also, I want to say that last week I didn't mention it uh, because I forgot or it didn't. I don't know. I don't know if if Stephen had sent it in or I forgot or whatever. It's probably my fault. Anyway, last week he had a review of. Uh, Ghost in the Shell Arise, a four-part series, anime series, that was actually the preceding uh, part to Ghost in the Shell, the new movie. Um, not the new Scarlett Johansson movie, but the uh, the new movie that's called the new movie. 
<laughs> the anime movie. Um, so I guess that was a finish. Uh, the new movie was was the end cap on the Arise series. Um, but Stephen reviewed them out of order because he didn't know, and that's fine. You know, well, I mean, it's fine for me. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference to me, but uh, <laughs> it seemed to work out okay for him as well. Anyway, so so last week uh, we had a review of the Arise series go up by Stephen, and this week Stephen is got a review of the actual new new movie with Scarlett Johansson, um, and so that will be coming out this week. Um, the new Ghost in the Shell. This is this is kind of a big event for <laughs> Silver Emulsion. I I don't remember the last time we had a review up for a movie that was in theaters just a couple days. So that should be fun. I don't know when I'm going to get that one up, uh, but sometime soon, sooner rather than later. And then the Shaw Brothers movie of the week is the wonderful, incredible, and very unique. Uh, to the Shaw Brothers, um, the Super Inframan. If you haven't seen Super Inframan, you are in for a treat. It is one of the most fun movies I think I've ever seen. I love it. Um, Uncle Jasper reviewed it for the site very early um, in the in the early days of the site, and so now I have uh, watched it under the guise of my chronological Shaw Brothers series. And uh, so now I can uh, offer my take on it, which is <laughs> tonally very different than Uncle Jasper take. Um, but I think I like... Originally, when when I thought about reviewing a movie that Jasper had already reviewed, I thought, there's no point. It's already been reviewed. What am I going to say? I'm not going to write a review as good as... Uncle Jasper did. But now, um, now, now I think, pff, I could write, was like, no, no, uh, um, now my whole thinking about it has shifted in that, well, it's not about writing something better, it's about writing something from my point of view. And I've found every single time that I've written review of a movie that he reviewed already, when I read his after I write mine, I generally find that they are very complementary because we um, look at movies in from a different stamp, like from a different point of view, so we notice different things. And I don't know. I find them very in in uh, interesting to see uh, how we. Uh, both approached a certain movie. So I actually very much look forward to the movies that I get to re-review. Um, and so Super Inframan is one of those. Definitely check out the movie. Um, I'm not going to tell you to definitely check out the review. I mean, it's all right, but... <laughs> anyway, so that's going to be the show. Um, send in any feedback if you got any feedback. And until then, the balcony is closed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I miss uh, good old days of Siskel and Ebert. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> adios. The bell.
light bulb above She gazed into the eyes of love Bathed in the dirty neon light She begged him, don't go out tonight 